everybody, welcome to another episode of Classic Gaming Brothers. I'm Zach. And I'm Seth. And we're the Classic Gaming Brothers. That's right, we are the Classic Gaming Brothers. That's right. That's right. I have a weird habit before recording this episode, whenever we're trying to capture a, a quiet moment, I always reach for my water and <laughs> decide to make a lot of noises on my side. You do like making a lot of mouth noises. When we're trying to be quiet, yeah. It's a it's a podcast problem. It is. It is a podcast problem. But before we begin today's episode though, I do want to say thank you to Brent of Goobertown Hobbies for being on our podcast in episode 105. So if everyone can go check him out, um that would be great. You know, we he was a wealth of knowledge about the Total War series. There was a lot of information about Total War that I did not previously have. And based on my memory these days, I don't have it anymore. Thank you Brent for joining us. Um you're welcome to come back anytime and we still at some point need to talk about Dawn of War, which is another Ooh. Warhammer game. So I'm <laughs> sure I'm sure we'll need you to come on to talk about that one. Yeah, so uh to get into it, Zach Yes, Seth. I'm going to let you know about the games that I've been recently been playing. So recently I've been playing a game called No Umbrellas Allowed, which has been developed by Hochu Game Studios and was released on September 3rd of this year. Now, No Umbrellas Allowed takes place in kind of this dystopian future where you actually play as some sort of possible fugitive hiding out as uh, the pretend son of a pawnbroker. And (laughs) you are in service for this pawnbroker providing you a false idea identity you have to work for him and uh, work at the this pawn brokerage shop of the future in the in the pawn broker shop you have to buy items preferably at a low value and sell those items preferably at a higher value as how pawn shops generally work i guess it's more of a thrift store not a pawn shop because you don't actually pawn like you don't hold things for pawn to give people money in the game you just buy and sell goods so i guess that's more of a thrift store but um it's kind of presented in a it's like that paper please s type situation so like your character sits behind a desk at the the thrift store and you have to use different tools to try to identify uh whether or not an item is valued at a certain amount and whether or not you should buy it at a certain amount and then there's a negotiation piece as well an example of the gameplay is uh, a customer will come into the store and put an item on the desk and they'll say like this item I think is worth 24 credits and you can appraise it for its damage and you could say, well, it's actually slightly damaged. But they may even come in and say this item is worthless and like it's so damaged beyond repair. And you could say it's actually slightly damaged. It's not actually completely destroyed. And they'll be, and you'll, you'll actually add value to the item. And then you can say like, oh, this item's made out of this rare material or it's, you're lying to me. It's not actually made out of this material. So you can kind of identify the item driving the price up and down based on your findings. It's a voluntary system. So you have to decide to tell the customer what it is. And it's beneficial for you to make an item more valuable because then you can sell the item for more than that, right? So if you get an item to be appraised at 250 and you buy it for a third of the cost, you might be able to sell it for 300 or at least 275. So you can keep that value intact. Whereas if you buy that item cheaper, you lock in that item stats. So if the customer says it's worthless and you don't identify that the item's actually in perfect quality and then you buy it as a worthless item, you can only sell it as a worthless item. You can't further change the value of it later by identifying like doing your own appraisal without the customer acknowledging 
acknowledging the appraisal. So it's got an interesting mechanic when it comes to the buying of the good. And then you have the flip side of selling the goods where you can put items. You have like a shop window where you have to merchandise your items in the window. Oh, fun. And you have to like there's a big one in the center. And so that like is the one that you are like, this is the one we are really stand behind for value. And then right, you have like yeah. little ones in the windows. And that's how you kind of present the store. And people will come in and they'll say like, hey, I want that particular item off the window. What's the cost? And if you priced it right, you'll just say like, this is the price. And they'll say, oh, that's reasonable. And they'll buy it. If you have a too high of a price, they may say like, I really want that, but I will only buy it for this price. And you can either decline that offer or you can accept that offer. The game also has a component where you can go to other shops in the area and walk around the little town and explore it. You can actually like rummage through the dumpsters um, when it's evening and you can find things that you can sell. Why it's called No Umbrellas Allowed is that the government is going to change everybody and fix them using fixer rain. I don't know what happens when you become a fixed person, but it's not a thing that people want to happen. So the government's like, you can't have an umbrella because it will protect you from the rain and the rain will fix you. So that's why it's no umbrellas allowed. And the government doesn't like it when you have umbrellas. So if you are in possession of umbrellas, you can get fined. You can actually, in one of my recent saved games, I found an umbrella in a dumpster. So I'm going to have to figure out what I'm going to do with that. Am I going to hide it? Am I going to sell it or am I going to like turn it over to the government kind of thing so but that's the decision that you get to make and you can make those decisions throughout the game like it gives you a bunch of branching stuff that you can decide to do in the game overall I'm really I grabbed it on the autumn sale for I think 15 bucks and uh, it's been a great pickup I did watch uh, a youtuber play through it um, many a true nerd who's always a, a fun time to watch uh, he's he, he does some good videos and he was doing a play through of it and i was kind of convinced after watching him play it that i was a game that i was interested in and then when it was on sale for the autumn sale i said it's time to buy so that's what i've been playing is uh, no umbrellas allowed i think i also used it as a byway pass earlier i think you might have in too. A previous episode Anyway, Seth, are you interested in the game I've been recently playing? Not really, but you can go ahead and tell me. (laughs) Uh, The game I've been recently playing is Proteus. Proteus is a, well, it's described as the first person shooter of old reimagined using modern rendering techniques. Uh, It's being developed by Bounding Box Software and released as uh, early access back in uh, November of 2020. So it's still in development, but you can play it. And it plays very much like classic first-person shooters, as the uh, description implied. I would call it very much like playing like Doom, classic Doom, but with the modern sensibilities of the more recent Doom games, where it has that kind of love and care toward classic first-person shooters. However, it does have a very nice fresh coat of paint on it to make the uh the lighting look really good and even like the monsters you're fighting which are sprite-based monsters almost look 3d because of the amount of like animation frames and stuff that they're using even these 2d sprite monsters which are coming at you feel like they're 3d models when they're not which is pretty cool in the very zach game it is a very zach game it plays a lot like doom it feels a lot like doom and i love doom but yeah i recommend playing proteus if you're interested 
interested in Doom, I will say it's a very bloody game. So if you are turned away by gore, I don't know if there's a setting for that. I didn't look. I usually don't turn off gore settings and like video game gore doesn't really bother me. But if that bothers you, it might be a game that you don't necessarily want to play. It's kind of one of those games where it's like you paint the walls red <laughs> sort of deal. It, it, they're, it's very violent, very... Uh, you know, gibs and stuff will fly off of enemies when you blow them apart. Yeah, that's Proteus. I would recommend it if you're interested in playing a kind of modern take on a classic idea. So in this particular episode, we're going to be talking about a game series that's close to my heart. And that game series is the Gabriel Knight series. Specifically in this episode, we're going to be concentrating primarily on the first Gabriel Knight series, Gabriel Knight Sins of the Fathers. And we may... And we may do future episodes on the other two games since we'll talk about the other two games a bit in passing towards the end of the episode. Uh, however, each Gabriel Knight game is a different Gabriel Knight game in regards to the presentation of the entire game. So the first game is a point-and-click adventure game. The second game is a full motion video game. And then the last game, they had an in-game 3D engine and then they had 3D rendered cutscenes that were better quality than the in-game engine could do um, but they were still like the people still looked polygonal they didn't look like real people i i have some memories of gabriel knight do you have any memories on gabriel knight so i don't remember you ever playing gabriel knight i do remember the box art for gabriel knight because it used to scare me i also thought it was inappropriate yes so in the box art that we actually had was only gabriel knight 3 so we didn't own gabriel knight 1 and we didn't own gabriel knight 2 i actually played gabriel knight 3 before i went back and played gabriel knight 1 and then only recently have i actually been playing Gabriel Knight 2. So that's kind of the weird way that we went through. I actually got a copy of Gabriel Knight from a friend of the family who was giving away a bunch of their PC video games. And in that collection of PC video games, I'm surprised Temujin wasn't in there. But Gabriel Knight, Blood of the Sacred, Blood of the Dam was in the uh, collection. And I ended up kind of reading the back of the CD. It was a jewel case. It wasn't even in like a box. And so I, I read the back of the jewel case and was intrigued by the concept of the game and picked it as one of the games that I would want to take from these friends of the family. And I brought it home, I installed it, and I played it, and I loved it. I probably played it at least three or four times through. I think I've played through it. Like, not back-to-back. -back. It's not that type of game that you play back-to-back. -back. Like, it's not like Doom where you end Doom and you're like, I want to play more Doom, so you just restart Doom. They're all story-driven adventure games, so generally you have to let some time pass before you the, the memory of the adventure kind of uh, gets stale a little bit so you can refresh it by playing through it again. But uh, the jewel case art and the cover art for Blood of the Sacred, Blood of the Damned, Gabriel Knight is a little risque. Yeah, it's like a, it's a statue of an angel that has, has a little bit of a bosom. Not like revealed, but like right. it's there. Cradling a shirtless, at least, Gabriel Knight. Yeah. He could, he could be nude. <laughs> you can't see yes. below the pants because the logo's there he's certainly not wearing high-waisted pants if he is wearing pants he is at least shirtless gabriel knight and he's also kind of like he's like passed out and it looks like the angel which i assume is a statue because it's like a gray color looks like it's about to like either bite him or kiss him and i 
think that used to just kind of freak me out. Um, and I also just thought it was like something that little Zach should not be seeing. <laughs> That's fair. And actually, we could talk about the cover arts real quick. So Zach did a, a good red edition of the Gabriel Knight 3 box art. Now, we had the jewel case, so it wasn't the full picture. It was like cut in half. And so it was like kind of like a zoomed up image of the angel. Yeah, it, would, it has to be some sort of statue or like ghost. And uh, it's definitely a gray angel. The CD case makes it even worse because you don't get the full shot of the angel. So it's this, this like gray woman holding a naked man and it kind of yes. looks like a ghost. <laughs> so Gabriel Knight 2, which is called The Beast Within, a Gabriel Knight mystery, actually has like a face coming through a sheet. Yep, that's also terrifying. There's like fangs on the monstrous face that's coming through the sheet. And then Gabriel Knight, Sins of the Father, has a body hanging in silhouette from some sort of noose and Gabriel's face like superimposed next to it. They're all very artsy. Well, so looking at Sins of the Father, it looks like it's from your perspective. Gabriel Knight is leaning over to you and being like, you, you see this? <laughs> you see this? That's a dead guy. But yeah, so they're they're all very um, risque. And I think that was part of their charm as well. I think part of their charm, especially with their box art, was that they were putting themselves off as something a little supernatural, a little risque, a little occulty, a little maybe edgy. The games most certainly weren't edgy. I mean, they, they do have some occult aspects to them and, and some supernatural aspects to them. A little bit of terror that may be more present to people under the age of 10 but uh like if you play it as an adult you're not going to be scared playing any of these games but uh as a child it, approaching these games they may be a little bit on on edge they are actually all esrb'd at like uh the m rating and i want to say that gabriel knight blood of the sacred blood of the dam was the first m rated game that i played so to get into it they were all developed by cr online and they were all created from the mind of jane jensen who is an accomplished novelist and video game creator she actually worked with her husband, Robert Holmes, and Robert Holmes was a accomplished musician. And he actually scored all of the Gabriel Knight series. And the score for the Gabriel Knight series is amazing. Gabriel Knight has some of the most iconic music, in my opinion, from my childhood. <laughs> The music's just great. I love it. Um, we'll have a bit of it in the beginning, but uh, it's for sure some some really, really good music that just like, when I hear it, I'm just like, oh, Gabriel Knight. Now, Jane Jensen, at the time of going to create Gabriel Knight, was still pretty accomplished with what she had done. So she had already wrote for the Police Quest series, specifically Police Quest 2. And she wrote for EcoQuest, The Search for Cetus. She also co-designed a King's Quest game Game, King's Quest 6, Air Today, Gone Tomorrow. She also uh, worked pretty closely with Roberta Williams and Ken Williams, who were the uh, co-creators of Sierra Online. So the founders and the people who ran her company. They gave her a lot of creative flexibility and freedom to work on her own game, and Roberta Williams actually helped her produce the Gabriel Knight series, kind of really helped it get going in the right direction. Roberta Williams, uh, for those who 
don't know, is a major player in the early days of adventure games. Roberta and Ken created games like Mystery House, Phantasmagoria, an amazing game called Mixed Up Mother Goose, and the King's Quest franchise, and the Police Quest franchise, and the Space Quest franchise, and the Quest for Glory franchise. Yes, great game. The game itself, the Gabriel Knight series, was inspired by the film Angel Heart, which is a 1987 neo-noir psychological horror film. That film is an adaptation of William Hortzberg's 1978 novel, Falling Angel, which is a hard-boiled detective-style book with some supernatural themes. Both Falling Angel and Angel Heart involve a character by the name of Harry Angel, who I'm sure there's no coincidence that Harry Angel is named Harry Angel and there's a lot of angel iconography in the Falling Angel and Angel Heart and Mm. Gabriel Knight. Gabriel is an angel as well. And there is a lot of Gabriel angel iconography in Gabriel Knight, which I feel is a kind of a direct inspiration based on the movie book that inspired the at least the original game. Now, I actually didn't know about the original movie or book that inspired the game prior to this episode. So that was unique for me to find out that there were essentially source material to Gabriel Knight. And I could definitely, after doing some research on the Angel Heart and Falling Angel book, I can really see where the inspiration for the first game originated from. It's a detective. There's some murders in New Orleans. They appear to be occult related, which that's kind of the premise of the book and the movie and also the video game Gabriel Knight. However, based on Jane Jensen's relationship with the Williams, uh, Ken and Roberta, she was given a lot of creative liberties with getting the game out the door and was essentially told by Ken Williams, here's your deadline. Make the game that you want to make and get it out the door. If it doesn't sell well, we won't make that game again. It was essentially Sierra Online's like motif there. To its trusted designers, it was like, go make something and you have the freedom to make whatever you want. We trust that you can make a good product. Now, Gabriel Knight, Sins of the Fathers, plays out as a point-and-click adventure. And Gabriel Knight, or as you play sometimes as Grace Nakamura, are controlled in the third-person perspective. The game story unfolds over a series of days, which is extremely stressful, especially to a child, which each day requiring different sets of actions to be performed before going to the next day. However, they do not require all the actions to be performed during the day to proceed forward. So you can, in fact, not do everything that you can do and still progress the next day, kind of leaving points on the table because there's point values to everything that you do. As pretty much was standard for this era of adventure games, Lucas had games that would do this. A lot of Sierra Online games would do this. Micropose had adventure games that would do this. Pretty much almost everyone who made an adventure game had some manner of point system assigned to the actions you did. So like you would be like, ah, I'm going to look at the mirror and in Dragon Sphere, it'll say like, oh, here's a little blurb and you get three points for looking at the mirror out of 700 points that you needed to collect to say that you like 100% the story, I guess. The points don't equate to the story. The points is just kind of like a completionist thing. And Gabriel Knight 1, 2, and 3 all have it. The game unfolding over a series of days keeps the game pretty linear since puzzles have to be kind of done in a certain day before 
before even progressing to the next puzzle. It's an adventure game with puzzles, but you're really going through this story, and you're kind of like reading a book almost. And as you're kind of reading the book, you're solving different puzzles. So you can't just go and solve all the puzzles. You have to kind of unfold the story, as it were. However, within each day, you may be presented a number of different puzzles that you can kind of take however you wish. So you could kind of like, if you had like four different people that you had to talk to during one particular day, you didn't have to talk to them in the order. You didn't have to talk to first Franklin Mosley, then talk to the old lady, then talk to the street musician or whatever, or the mime. There's a mime in Gabriel Knight. So you can kind of go around and do the puzzles however way you want. However, if you don't do it with some sort of logic, uh, you may end up backtracking. So you may okay. need to talk to the police and then talk to the old lady because right. that may open up additional dialogue. Well, the game was created in SCI2, which is a version of Sierra's Creative Interpreter. We talked about Sierra's Creative Interpreter back in episode 35 when we interviewed Damien. Uh, for a refresher, though, Sierra's Creative Interpreter was the scripting language used to create a majority of Sierra's games, such as King's Quest 4 through 7, Space Quest 3 to 6, and of course, Gabriel Knight. During development of the game, it was actually upgraded to what's called SCI-32 just before launch. This caused massive headaches for the team, who now had to combat bugs that they previously hadn't encountered. Uh, the game did, however, make it to launch. Now, the game, unlike many more recent graphical adventure titles, uses what are called dumb icons as opposed to context-sensitive cursors. So what this means is that in order to do a specific action, you must first click on one of these dumb icons and then on the object you want to interact with. And those dumb icons are walk, look, ask, talk, pick up, open slash close, operate, and move. So for example, if you want to talk to someone on the screen, you would have to first click on the icon that says talk and then click on the person you would like to talk to. On the screen, there were also two other icons for inventory and recorder. Inventory is a bit self-explanatory. It brought up your inventory where various items that you had collected in the game can be stored. Recorder will actually open up a tape recorder and play back past conversations that you had had earlier in the game so if you're trying to remember a detail or something like that, you could easily go back to that conversation without having to like go back in your save. Actually, in Gabriel Knight 2, the recorder is a kind of an ever-present thing. In Gabriel Knight 2, they actually move to context-sensitive cursors, and the recorder allows you to still listen back to past conversations, but you're able to splice conversations so you can get people to say things that they didn't say to other people. Thank goodness they went to context sensitive curses because the other method is just awful <laughs> i see i would disagree i think the i think the dumb icons is uh, very nostalgic for me i think it, it represents a lot of really great games i'm okay with context sensitive cursors i really liked how Gabriel Knight 3 did it, which was an entirely different way as well, where they had a context-sensitive cursor that brought up a sub-menu of the different things that you could do, and sometimes you could do inappropriate things. But Tim Curry would tell you how they were inappropriate. So two of the notable icons are ask and talk. Talk is for general conversation. So if you want to talk to someone, you might want to click talk. Ask 
is for interrogation mode. So if you needed to interrogate someone to get more details, then you would want to use the ask option, which I can imagine is frustrating if you don't want to interrogate someone and you click ask by accident, or if you do want to interrogate someone and click talk by accident, because that's just more button clicking. I did like that there was like um, the interrogation mode. It brought up a new screen where it was like um, very like drawn images of the two people talking. And then you could go through like a pile of questions. Oh, yeah. I've seen really pictures ask, of that. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> over ask things these games were like infamous for asking like random people on the street be like tell me about the local murders to like every single person that's around Uh, can you tell me about the local murder well yes i can (laughs) now gabriel knight is some sort of detective right no you would be wrong (laughs) he's a is he a private investigator no siree he is not a private investigator he's a used bookstore owner and a writer and he is not even a very good writer as he is not really Really written much of anything so he says that he's a writer and he owns a used bookstore which makes him very qualified for investigating murders he happens to live in new orleans where these mysterious murders start to happen in the first game and he feels that these murders would be a great idea for a book that he's writing so he should investigate these murders to understand them to write a better book and that's why gabriel knight is investigating these murders because he is, I guess, bored? I I mean, like, he's, he needs his subject material, I guess. He has an employee who he underpays named Grace Nakamura, who you occasionally play as, and she tends to be his foil in the game. So Gabriel Knight is kind of misogynist and is very, like, full of himself. He's like a narcissist misogynist dude who goes around and thinks that he's like god's gift to everybody well you know long blonde hair well built he's got a great voice which we'll go into but he has an employee who works at his bookstore named grace nakamura who keeps him grounded and she keeps him grounded throughout all three games throughout all three games i don't feel like gabriel knight at any point in time develops as a character like he i guess he learns things but he doesn't necessarily stop being the gabriel like the core gabriel knight person that he is like he doesn't all of a sudden not be a misogynist (laughs) right yeah yeah grace has a little bit more development um and their relationship between grace and gabriel kind of goes over that changes throughout the game the other main character in this game who's present in the other games is his childhood friend detective franklin mosley who is at the time of the first game a police officer with the New Orleans PD who gives information to Gabriel Knight sometimes Gabriel Knight takes information from Detective Mosley in matters that were is probably illegal and other times Detective Mosley just lets Gabriel Knight do things that are also probably illegal (laughs) like I believe at some point in time in the first game Detective Mosley allows Gabriel Knight to interrogate a suspect (laughs) which I don't think you're allowed to as a police officer to allow a writer to interrogate a suspect. I don't think writers slash bookstore owners have that type of privilege. Nope. Apparently Gabriel Knight does. Also, occasionally Gabriel Knight will steal things from Detective Mosley, which I'm pretty sure stealing anything from a police department is also illegal. The game overall plays out as you would expect a detective adventure game where you proceed through various different puzzles and slowly unravel the mystery. I'm actually a very big fan of the series. I think it's a, a, a very well-written story. Like, I don't want to tell you
tell you like what happens in the story. Um, I know we've done that in the previous episodes where we've kind of talked through, I think like our Dragon Sphere episode or episode 100 and 101, we, we actually like walk through the entire story. Gabriel Knight just got its 20th anniversary a couple years ago. So I would recommend if you're interested in adventure games and you're interested in kind of adventure puzzle games that involve like murder mysteries, I would recommend giving the first Gabriel Knight a try. So I haven't beat Gabriel Knight 2, so I'm not going to recommend you go and beat Gabriel Knight 2, but I, I have beat Gabriel Knight 3, and I liked Gabriel Knight 3. All three of them are very different games, not only in regards to the way that they were made, in regards to like their graphic style, but also their subject matter. They're very different. Just to compare Gabriel Knight 1, you're investigating like voodoo murders in New Orleans, and you're trying to figure out what's going on behind the scenes of that. In Gabriel Knight 3, you're like on the quest to find the Holy Grail and there are like Templars and Masons involved. <laughs> to be honest, I would say that a good equivalency of Gabriel Knight is Dan Brown. If you like Dan Brown novels, then you, you'll probably like Gabriel Knight. One of the things that I really appreciate in the Gabriel Knight series is the layering of the supernatural element to the entire franchise. And what I mean by that is as you play through the game, it's pretty realistic and believable, albeit a little funny at times, like where you're like stealing stuff from the police officer or putting on his jacket and pretending to be him. But it's not like outlandish and it's not super magic. There's no like wizards or anything floating around or anything like that. However, they, they usually incorporate within the game real life occult elements and organizations and societies. Like I mentioned in the third game, they talk about the Templars and the Masons, the Priory of Sion and stuff like that. So like the Priory of Sion, the Masons, the Templars, these are all real organizations that they exist in real life um, or have existed in real life. And you could say occultish elements of them. And you know, like there's voodoo in real life. In the first Gabriel Knight, in Gabriel Knight Sins of the Fathers, they talk about the difference between voodoo and hoodoo. Um, and they talk about that. And that's real. I mean, the idea of it is real. <laughs> like there are people that practice voodoo today. Gabriel Knight, usually at the end of the story, they lay layer in like a fantasy type of supernatural that makes you really go like, oh, kind of way. And it, it kind of ties it all up. It, it kind of reaffirms that it's not like a real world story. It's a made up story. Yeah. And it, it always ends pretty satisfying. They bring it all forward to the end. So yeah, so Gabriel Knight 1, Voodoo Magic, mur Murders. Gabriel Knight 2 is about werewolves. And then Gabriel Knight 3 is about the Holy Grail, Templars, and Masons. So there's a, a good change of pace when it comes to the supernatural in each one. Now, when the first game was released, it was released on disc and CD-ROM. Disc being like floppy disc. The disc version had no voice because that's how things were back in the day. However, CD-ROMs were commonly given voice work. The voice work for Gabriel Knight is amazing. I actually can almost recommend playing the first unremastered version of Gabriel Knight instead of playing the 20th anniversary version. Because even though the 20th anniversary version is remastered, the graphics are better, it plays better, the original has the original voices, and the original voices 
include Tim Curry and Mark Hamill and Michael Dorn. <laughs> I love all those voices. There is a point in time in the game where Tim Curry, in his New Orleans accent, is arguing with Mark Hamill, who is putting on like a Gary Busey accent, and they're arguing because Tim Curry plays Gabriel Knight and Mark Hamill plays Detective Franklin Mosley. The voice work in the 20th edition is good. I'm not saying those actors aren't great. They're just, I wouldn't say Tim Curry. So if you want to hear Tim Curry be Gabriel Knight, then I recommend playing the original. It still holds up. The 20th edition is a more updated package. The second game and the third game were not remastered. Unfortunately, the Pinkerton Road Studios, which was founded by Jane Jensen back in 2012, actually went defunct a few years ago. And they remastered Gabriel Knight. And then she created Mobius Empire Rising, which is a story about a, an art appraiser. And then, uh, and then the studio closed, which is sad. She now writes novels full time. Uh, Jane Jensen also writes under a pseudonym of Eli Easton. So if you ever see books by Eli Easton, that's Jane Jensen. There were a number of novels and comics for Gabriel Knight. There was a the Since the Father's graphic novel, which is like a prelude to the game, and it sh- actually shipped with the game then there was there was like a comic that led the beast within then there was like a interlude between the two there was a bunch of like material they were originally talking about writing a fourth game as a novel um which never got released unfortunately i'm saying unfortunately in these moments because each gabriel knight story is completed at the end of the story however there is a like a meta story that goes throughout all three of the games about Gabriel Knight being involved with uh, this German estate and he has to like carry on the family tradition and has like a special amulet and a special dagger which is present in a lot of the game's imagery (laughs) however it doesn't really wrap up that story that's not driven to conclusion even by the end of Gabriel Knight 3 (laughs) and it kind of hints that there would be a fourth one and then no fourth one ever came and they were like we're gonna write a novel and then no novel ever came so if one day hopefully maybe Jane Jensen will just finish telling the Gabriel Knight story, or they won't, based on the numbers that uh, Zach's about to go over. To get into the numbers, and we're doing things a little differently because Seth kind of took point on the the history and the story of Gabriel Knight. Now, the question you might be asking us is, well, Gabriel Knight had to be a hit, right? I mean, it had three games. Well, it wasn't a hit. Based on the Orange County Register article from 1998 that I found, Gabriel Knight and its sequel, The Beast Within, only sold about 300,000 copies by December of 1998. Despite these low sale numbers, though, the game scored very positively. Adventure Gamers Magazine rated it 5 of 5. Just Adventure Magazine gave it an A. Adventure Lantern gave it a 90 out of 100. And the website Game Rankings has it rated at a 93%. And Game Rankings is an aggregator, so it takes like reviews and stuff from everyone. The game also went on to win the Computer Game Review Magazine's award for Adventure Game of the Year in 1994. And it also won Best in Show at the Consumer Electronics Show in 1993. One reviewer at the time stated that Gabriel Knight was the first time they experienced fear when viewing a video game. They went on to praise the exceptional art and the gameplay that was uh, blended together so well. Now, as um, as we've noted uh, a few times, uh, despite the lackluster sales, there were sequels. 
The Beast Within, a Gabriel Knight mystery, the second game, was released in 1995. A third game, titled Gabriel Knight 3, Blood of the Sacred, Blood of the Damned, was released in 1999. Now, the third game is also known for having two puzzles that are famous for very different reasons. Both puzzles are actually featured in their own Wikipedia article. So if you go on Wikipedia right now, you can look up these puzzles from the third Gabriel Knight game. One of the puzzles is called Le Serpent Rouge puzzle, where a character is attempting to decipher riddles found in 13 different passages of a document. And this puzzle has been praised for its really it's not only the fact that it's difficult, but it's difficult in a in a good way. It's it is challenging. Yeah, that character is you. Yeah, I know. Yeah. You're playing as Grace during those segments. The other puzzle that's uh, famous is the puzzle known as the cat hair mustache puzzle, which Seth has talked about a lot on this podcast. I love that puzzle. To put it simply, and Seth can elaborate, you must make a mustache out of cat hair. Yes. So (laughs) this is actually... So let me talk about Gabriel Knight 3 for just a little bit. Le Serpent Rouge is an amazing puzzle and is primarily what you're doing as Grace when you're doing your Grace segments. So the game is split into Gabriel segments and Grace segments. And you're like tracking down all the clues, trying to piece things together, and really trying to identify the location of where this quest goal is. When you're playing as Gabriel, you are breaking into people's hotel rooms, stealing people's preparation age, and... And making yourself look like Detective Mosley using maple syrup, scotch tape, and a cat. You actually, you steal his jacket. You find a random baseball cap from Lost and Found. You do something with his ID. I think you you take your passport and you take a random photo of him and you like make your own ID thing with it. And then you get some maple syrup and some adhesive tape and you put it in an area and spritz bottle a cat. So the cat runs through it, spreading its hair all over the masking tape, which you then affix to your mouth with maple syrup. Or it's all on the maple syrup and you affix it with tape. One or the other. I don't know why he didn't just get double-sided tape, but uh, (laughs) he had to get maple syrup in there. And then you then pretend to be Detective Franklin Mosley. It's a fun juxtaposition that Grace is working on this like high-level thought type puzzle, and Gabriel Knight's just like... (laughs) causing ma'am now so uh if you're listening to this episode and you're like i've never heard of this game i'm interested in playing this game well you're in luck each game is available on good old games and steam uh they msrp about six bucks a game except for the sins of the father 20th anniversary edition that goes for 20 dollars. you can't get a demo of sins of the father the 20th anniversary for free and try it out to see if it's a type of game that you would actually want to play uh you could also just get all three games for five dollars less than the uh sins of the father 20th anniversary edition I own all of them because that's how I am. I think I also own them all on good old games and also Steam. I don't know why I own them both on both, but it's I do. Are you ready to get into our Byway Pass segment, Seth? I am ready. All right, Seth. The game that I'm going to describe for you about whether or not you want to buy, wait, or pass on has actually already been released. Okay. It came out today as of the recording of this episode. So in this game... You must manage not only a form of transportation, but also the tourism of a town. It's a it's a simulation game. And the question is, how will you develop this town? And also, what kind of railroad are you going to make? This game is called A-Train. All aboard! Tourism! Oh, I'm going to go research this game. 
All right, so we're back. A little bit about A-Train. It looks like it's being developed by Artdink um, and published by Degaka Games. Uh, it did come out December 7th of 2021. It looks a little interesting because in my, my in my personal mind, these type of simulation games have historically been Western. The Cities series, the Sim series. So this looks like it's a, a Japanese developer and it looks like it's coming and localizing over to the American audience. They're, they have other games that they've released that are all just um, Japanese. I was curious too, so I decided to look more up into A-Train and it goes it goes back. Uh, the first game was in 1985 and was on a bunch of systems. I think it's going to be a pass for me right now. Um, I think that I would want to see more reviews come in first to see if uh, if it if it's if it's reviewed a little bit better. Um, it is pretty expensive. It's a uh, 53.99 on sale. It's MSRP's at 59.99. So I'm going to put that down at a pass for your game. You're going to have to adventure through captivating brutal dystopia where you will travel through this gigantic city's brightest highs and delve into its darkest depths on a scary journey of discovery and finding your destiny where hope seems in short supply what's this game called seth this game is called white shadows being developed by Monacel. It is also uh, released on the date of our recording, which is the 7th of December. I'm going to look this game up, so we're going to take a quick pause. And we're back. For this game, White Shadows, which, uh, as Seth mentioned, is being developed by Monocal, I uh, think I'm going to put this down as a wait, mostly because it's just not a game I'm currently in the mood to play, uh, so it's not really a game I want to instantly buy. It looks very cool, though. It's kind of all in black and white, very moody. It reminds me a lot of Limbo, which was a great game. I loved Limbo, but it feels like one of those games to me that I would need to kind of be in the right mood for. Um, it's being described as very atmospheric, story-rich. Uh, it's a puzzle game, so I think it needs to be one of those games that I, I need to like be in the right mindset for. And with like the Christmas season coming up, I'm just not in that mindset <laughs> for, <laughs> for the foreseeable future. So um, I, I definitely will put this down as a wait, and I'm going to put it on my wish list on Steam. So I'll at least keep it in the back of my mind, and it will be there. But I will put this down as a wait, I think. And that's going to be it. That's that's our uh, Gabriel Knight episode. If uh, that was a fun episode, I, I really, uh, I really enjoy talking about Gabriel Knight. We do have a special episode for our next week's episode, so you should come back and check that out. We're going to be trying something different with our next week's episode. Uh, not too different. We're not going to change the format. We're just going to have a a kind of unique topic. We generally have a couple of different topics, but this one will be uh, specific. So hopefully you guys will appreciate it. If you guys end up liking this next topic, we'll add these type of future new topics that you'll see next week into our rotation. So be ready to check that out. 
So to wrap everything up, uh, you can always listen to us on any podcasting agent. We're available on where, wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can always contact us by sending us an email at classicgamingbrothers at gmail.com. An email over to us will enter your name into our raffle for a free video game. Our socials are uh, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitch. We are at Classic Gaming Brothers. And on Twitter, we're CG Brothers Pod. And we always recommend if you want to support the podcast, please give us a rating on um, iTunes or wherever you listen to your uh, podcasts. And Zach, am I uh, missing anything? Don't play games like my brother. And don't play games like my brother. I've been Zach. And I've been Seth. And we've been the classic gaming brothers. That's, That's right. right. Man, I love Gabriel Knight. <laughs>